Blog Talk Radio. Hi there, I'm Laura Mize, pediatric speech language pathologist, and welcome to Teach Me to Talk the Podcast. Today we're continuing the series that I started a couple of weeks ago with the guidelines that I use for selecting therapy activities for late-talking toddlers and preschoolers. Now, last week, we started by talking about the hierarchy with movement activities and with social games and music. So if you haven't listened to that show, go back and listen to that because some of the things we're going to talk about today are really predicated on that information. And then there's one show before that where we talk about understanding a child's developmental level and his regulatory state and then how we think about likes and dislikes. And those are all very, very important factors in determining the kinds of activities that we introduce when we're working with a child during speech therapy or another kind of developmental therapy service or if you are a parent and you are working with your child at home. These are the same kinds of factors that we're going to use as we select the specific toys and activities that we're talking about today. So again, we looked at movement activities and how critical that is to help a child either rev up or calm down. And remember, we talked a lot about that that's how we consider a child's regulatory state to be, meaning that he either needs to settle down a little bit so that he can stay with us and participate and play, or for some kids who are those lower arousal kids, meaning that it takes a lot to get them going, we can also use movement to accomplish that goal. So go back and listen to that show if you're not quite sure what I'm talking about (laughs) so that you understand that you can change that. You can significantly impact how active or how uh, participatory a child is just by introducing movement and and understand how to use that. And the second category that we talked about in this therapy hierarchy, and let me just say, what do I mean by therapy hierarchy, activity hierarchy? That means there's a sequence. There's a progression for the kinds of activities that work. And generally, remember we talked about last week with movement and with social games and music. These are kind of our go-to activities that we use with children in between other things and that as they mature and grow and learn you'll move through the other activities or categories of activities or kinds of play knowing that you can always back up and 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 again if you're losing a child's attention or for some reason he seems to not want to do what you want him to do (laughs) you'll back up and and have a little movement break where you're doing some of the things that we talked about last week in that show with those really specific therapy activities. And let me just say, I went back to last week's post about the podcast and included some specific links to the kinds of toys that we talked about on Amazon so that if you are a super busy mom or therapist like me and you think, I do not have time to go to Target and Toys R Us and track down all these toys, I'd rather just order them. Or if you heard about an activity or a toy that you really like that you don't have, go back and look at the post at teachmetotalk.com for show number 296 and just type that in the search bar. At the top of the page, you know, the number sign 296, and the show will come up, and then you can scroll down to the bottom and look at the links that I posted there. Someone emailed me this week and said, I listened to the show, and I heard you talk about that flat ball, and I think I've heard you talk about that before. You know, I looked in a couple of places, and I can't find it. So there's a link there for the infamous flat ball (laughs) that we talked about in last week's show, along with a couple of other things. Now, the post for today's show contains, oh gosh, I bet 30 different toys that we're going to talk about in these next three categories. And I better really get moving here because I'm going to cover a lot of ground today. And for some of the things that we're talking about now, remember, you'll have the written post there at teachmetotalk.com if you are not sure about something or if you just want to check something or again if you want to purchase a specific toy that I'm talking about today check out that post because you'll uh, get a link right there and again that's just for your convenience please don't feel like that 
you know, anything more than that. All right, so the next category in our hierarchy of activities that we use with late talkers, what's the next thing beyond uh, social games and music? Let's talk about cause and effect toys. And last week we started this and then I realized it was the end of the show and there was no way I could possibly get through all of this information. So let's kind of pick up where we left off and talk about cause and effect. Now remember cause and effect is one of those three big milestones that toddlers are achieving uh, right as or shortly before they really begin to gesture and use words. So it's really indicative of their developmental level when you see that, gosh, he's mastering cause and effect. He understands that I do this and then this happens. And it's so easy to target cause and effect not only in daily routines but in play because there's Tons and tons and tons, there are tons and tons and tons of options for you as far as toys to teach a child and to help a child really learn and master that important cognitive skill. Now, button pushing <laughs> is an early way to teach cause and effect, but it's really, really important that we don't leave a kid there. We want him to understand and be able to use a variety of actions or movements to play with a toy or to activate a toy or to use it how it's supposed to be used in a really purposeful manner. So I'm going to be giving you some specific toys that I've used for that and that, and again, we're going to talk about just variety of skill. And, you know, we're, we're targeting language because that's what this show is about. You know, teach me to talk, teach me to understand and use words. But the great thing about really focusing on helping a child learn how to play and use these different kinds of movements and actions, you're going to be targeting cognitive development, you know, learning how to learn, cognition, that's what that means, and improving that fine motor component. And lots of our little friends who are like talkers also have delays in their fine motor skills. And if you're a mom or dad listening and you're not quite sure what that is, fine motor would be using your hands, you know, doing anything that's a smaller motor activity. And actually speech is considered a fine motor activity. Gross motor activities are big muscle activities like running and walking and jumping. And so fine motor, again, you know, it's it's refined. That's, that's part of the same word here. And it's really important as children develop that they – get better and better and better and better at using all parts of their little bodies. And so sometimes we'll see kids who are like talkers, again, who have a myriad of other concerns. And so as speech-language pathologists and other developmental professionals who are focusing on language, we have so many opportunities to help that child improve in all areas when we're thinking about the kinds of activities that we choose. So again, I want you to be really cognizant of that today as we're talking about uh, especially the variety of cause and effect toys that we're going to be mentioning. Now, if you'll just Google or go to Amazon or go to wherever you go to buy toys, if you're thinking about doing it online, if you'll just do a search, if you'll just type in Fisher-Price or Play School or any of those major therapy companies, they almost always have a big number of toys that would target cause and effect. That's one of the kind of the premises of early play. And so you'll get some information about that, if, again, if this is brand new to you or if you're a parent and you're really – you listened to the show last week and the week before and we talked about how important developmental level is and you're thinking, gosh, you know, maybe the toys that I have at home, you know, he's not playing with them because they're too simple or maybe it's because they're too hard like we talked about last time. So if you need some ideas or you're just feeling like, oh, you know, I just wish I – had a better grasp on the kinds of things she's talking about, that might be something you want to do. It's just Google Fisher-Price toys or Google Play School toys, and you can look and you can match what you think your child likes and would be into based on, you know, looking at 10 or 20 toys and choosing versus um, just looking at what you already have, which is already fine, or the links that I provided um, here in the post. So let's start with an early kind of um, – cause and effect toy, which would be pop-up toys. Now, when I was a little girl, I remember my mom was a manager of a chain store, 
in Mississippi. TWL was the name of that store, and they had a toy department. And so I remember looking all the time. You know, I've always liked toys. But these kinds of toys used to be what we called busy boxes that were on the side of a crib. And they had, you know, just kind of a variety of things there. You know, you could spin the knob or push the button or open the door. Well, pop-up toys are like that as well, but it's generally a bot and a child. There will be four or five doors on top, and a child is supposed to push the button or pull the switch or turn the knob to activate the toy, meaning that the door opens or pops up and some animal or character or something <laughs> uh, is, is the effect. It pops up and the child learns, hey, I do something and then I get something. You know, hey, that happened because I pushed the button. And that's where they learn intentionality. And, again, we talked about that last week. I don't want to be repetitive today, but I want you to remember these words and remember how important this kind of concept is. So you can get pop-up toys, again, just uh, there's so many out there. The two that I've linked in the post, um, there's one by Fisher-Price, and it's pretty cheap, and that's why I put it there. And uh, the buttons and the switches look pretty easy to activate. I don't have this particular toy, and I probably wouldn't purchase this one unless a kid <laughs> had a really limited phonemic phonetic repertoire and could only do bilabials because this is, this one is a set of bugs. So if I wanted to practice bug, 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 and really, or bub, 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 whatever he could say, and I felt like, gosh, this, is, this would really give us an opportunity, or let's say that he doesn't have that sound yet. You never hear that in babbling or in something, a purposeful word approximation. That might be a time that I would use that one, but I included it because it is a cheaper version of uh, this kind of toy, and I know parents are always looking for a bargain. I have the pop-up, pop and pals, pop-up, that I have are theme based, meaning that they're from Sesame Street. A long time ago, I used to have a Disney set. I'm not even sure that that's in my um, toy closet anymore. But the other one here is a set of animals, and that's always great for teaching new vocabulary. And again, you may have a kid who, at this developmental level, is really starting to imitate and pop out some words. You might have a kid who's just gotten to be a little bit verbal but he's not quite to the word level. So for those kinds of kids, if you're using this kind of toy, you would work on animal sounds. So if you have a farm set, that would be a lot easier to do. Or you may work on exclamatory words so that when uh, the, the child pushes the button and the door opens and the character is there, you might say, you know, wow, or ooh, or woohoo, you know, some little noise, some little exclamatory word or phrase there that a child hopefully after he's heard it time and time and time again would start to imitate and certainly recognize and remember too that you're teaching receptive language this isn't always about talking children have to understand words before they begin to use those words meaningfully so for some children at this developmental phase and who are ready to sit down with you for a little bit longer of time or longer time as you're learning uh, to play with these cause and effect toys you know, sometimes the goal really just needs to be that they're listening and that they're learning after hearing you label the specific object over and over and over again. You know, after they hear you say cat 57 times as you're playing with this toy, eventually you'll be able to say, where's the cat? Show me cat. And he'll point to it or somehow indicate that he understands what you're talking about. He's linked meaning with that. So again, those are just some examples of the kinds of goals that you can work on uh, with a pop-up toy. Now let's move on. Jack-in-the-box toys also fall in the same category with cause and effect toys. I always mourn <laughs> that my very favorite jack-in-the-box of all time is no longer made. It was by Discovery Toys, and it was called Peaks the Clown. And if you've seen any of my DVDs, I think it was probably in Teach Me to Talk and Teach Me to Listen and Obey One. I just love that toy, and it's a jack-in-the-box. And the reason that I like it so much is because it's just a one-push toy. You push the big yellow button on the top, 
and the box opens and the clown pops out and it wasn't attached so sometimes it would pop way out kind of like another one of my favorite toys here in this category called frog in a box and today when I searched it to link it into this post that's no longer made either so I'm going to have to snatch it up and order a new one before they completely run out. It's still available on Amazon. But here's my point. These kinds of toys are great. And even if the kid can't operate a traditional jack-in-the-box, like the one that I have listed here, it's a, really, it's a clown one too. And it's by a company called, I believe it's Tolo, T-O-L-O. And I have this as well. But you have to turn the little crank. Now, sometimes some therapists will make a really big deal about, you know, the child has to learn to turn the crank or wind it so that the jack-in-the-box pops up. And that's fine. And, again, we do want children to learn a variety of motor movements so that they continue to make progress with their fine motor skills. But in the beginning, remember, our concern is we're teaching cause and effect. We want them to understand that, hey, this happens after I do this. And so to me, it does not matter if a kid can do it on his own yet, because it is kind of hard uh, to turn the crank, and especially for some of the older uh, jack-in-the-boxes that aren't as easily uh, manipulated so it's okay to me if I have to do it at the beginning I just want the kids staying with me and looking at the toy and then looking back at me for that nice joint attention and then anticipating that the clown or whatever's in the box is about to pop up so it's a great great toy and again you can find a ton of versions of jack-in-the-boxes so and that's a classic toy that's been around a long time lots of families will have that already and so that, that's a toy here that would be a good one if you are working on cause and effect. And let me just say, say this. I think I said it last week, but let me uh, remind you of this important point. These cause and effect toys really are designed for children who are in uh, an earlier phase of developing an attention span. Once kids learn how to move on their own, meaning crawl or walk or even cruise, you know, that, that motor drive is just so strong for kids who are in this developmental phase. They're new walkers, new, craw new creepers or crawlers, new cruisers, so they're, you know, holding on to the furniture. And that is their primary motivation at this developmental level. So when we're looking at cause and effect toys, Sometimes, you know, parents will say, gosh, he only does it two or three times and then he goes away and then, you know, he'll come back and do it two or three times and then go away. That's okay. Don't think that you have to help a kid at this developmental stage develop a 10 or 20 minute attention span. It is not going to happen. So I like these cause and effect toys. And hey, if a kid will stay there and participate that long, oh, that's fantastic. You would never want to really say, you know, you've played with this one toy too long unless it's kind of a repetitive, perseverative pattern. But otherwise, it's okay to have, you know, three, four, five turns with a toy and then move on to something else. And that's, again, developing an attention span is something that happens in a progression or progressively, meaning it's not going to happen all in one day. And, it, you know, the more typically developing a child is, the better his attention span will be for his age. So for lots of our little friends with developmental delays, we do not expect them to be able to sit for more than a few little turns at this phase. That's why we'll have to have a lot of materials available. And that's why you as the adult need to be a support person so that you can sit with them and help them extend their attention and help them stay for that one more turn or one more time. And you'll do that by being super, super fun. You'll do that by you know, helping them when they can't activate the toy. You would never just leave them to their own devices to sit there and try to figure out how to turn the toy if you like back with the jack-in-the-box if you felt like you were about to lose them because they could not activate the little crank for the jack-in-the-box jump in and help or if they'll allow it do some hand-over-hand -hand assistance so that they learn that turning movement or whatever movement would be required to to play with a toy or get the toy going and so we always know that that's our primary job as the adult there, whether you're the therapist or the parent, is to help the child learn something new. We're moving him along. We're showing him what comes next. Now, for some kids, 
And especially if you're a therapist and you're just trying to ascertain where this child is developmentally, you may present a toy and then just kind of hang back and sit there and see what he'll do. But when we're really working with the child and and doing therapy, (laughs) we need to focus a lot on teaching rather than on evaluating. So we're showing, we're helping, we're we're again, providing that physical assistance when it's necessary to help a child learn how to activate these toys. We do want him to be able to do it independently, but for many, many, many children, we have to help them learn what a toy is for and how to play with a specific toy and get the motor movement going for that or whatever action is required so that they can cognitively begin to process and understand and remember how to have a play with the toy on their own and again that's such a complex process that I think that so many times we don't really consider all that goes into playing with a toy you know we're not really thinking you know there's a motor component there's the cognitive component meaning again do I understand how this toy works do I understand what comes next am I sticking with it long enough do I get mad and just have to leave it because it's too frustrating for me and so when we think about all of those components um, it's sometimes we again underestimate what a challenge it is for lots of our little friends who do have developmental delays so I want you to really really think about that as we move through the rest of these toys now the next kind of uh, recommendation that I have here on the list are piano toys or any kind of musical toy because Music will just really capture a child's attention. It's really, really motivating. And I don't like toys that play, you know, the song for two minutes at a time. I like toys, if I'm using a music toy like this, that it's pretty quick. And so the turns move really, really fast. Because if the song is really long or even something that lasts, you know, 10 or 15 seconds, That's too long for lots of our little friends, especially if they're not really processing, you know, if it's, uh, if the toy is talking to them and if they have no idea what those words mean, you'll totally lose their attention during that time. So if you're using music or a toy like this to teach cause and effect, and if it's something that a child likes, I, I sort of think about simpler is better with these kinds of toys. So a toy like a piano or a little keyboard where the child is pushing the button and then hearing the music. Now, some of you as parents are going to think those kinds of toys irritate me to death. (laughs) And if your child has mastered those, that is fantastic. You will not need to spend a lot of time on this, but it is a nice option for children who are struggling with cause and effect, for children who don't know how to play with toys and who don't seem to understand that they can stick with a toy and stay with a toy and and, and do something purposeful and intentional with a toy. So a piano toy or something like that is a great option as well. Now, visual kids, and by that I mean children who you see them seeking out things that they see, things that they can look at, things they watch. So these would be kids who are right up on the TV screen or if they have an iPad or they're, you know, you've shown you have a little app on your phone that's uh, appropriate for them and they are putting the screen right in front of their little eyes or they just seem to notice the tiniest little fleck of dust on on the floor or they like to watch, (coughs) excuse me, the fan. Kids who really seek out this visual information sometimes have a hard time playing with toys unless there's a big visual component. And so if you know that about a child and you, you always want to match it, that would be what we were talking about a couple of weeks ago when we were when we were saying that we consider their preferences or, or their strengths or their likes and dislikes. So if you see a child who is constantly using his little eyes, and he seems to prefer visual stimuli or information over, say, you talking or over something that's that's just even maybe over music that he's not really, he doesn't seem to listen. He seems to almost avoid hearing and paying attention to people. Go with visual toys here. And by visual toys, I mean toys that light up, toys that have some kind of movement, so that he's surprised or something that he can watch. And sometimes this is kind of a struggle. And so we have to really 
again, choose our toys very, very purposefully based on what we know about a kid. So let's say that you have a kid who really is struggling with cause and effect and who may have some fine motor issues as well. A ring stacker is a traditional toy that, you know, everybody has seen a ring stacker, but sometimes the plastic ones are just way too boring, that really basic set. So you look for something that has a little more umph. And so uh, Fisher-Price makes one that lights up. Right, The version that's out right now has a lion's head on top, and it's, uh, again, the lights are there. I have an older version that plays Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star, and it has a star on the top. But, again, what are we doing with presenting this to a child. He has that visual uh, stimulation that he likes. He's going to want to pay attention to it because the lights are blinking. And then if it plays music as well, you know, that's another channel that we are using to engage that child, something that he can listen to. So that's a nice choice as well. Another one of my favorites here in this cause and effect category is a spiral racetrack. Now, I have an older version. Actually, I have three or four of these because once I like a toy and decide that it's a winner, <laughs> I'll just buy as many as I can when they're cheap because I know over time the toy will be discontinued or the price will go up so much that I, I won't want to invest that much as it's no longer made. But if I find out, oh, this is a good toy, I'm going to like this, I'll go buy two or three more and then put them away so that when my first one breaks, you know, I'm still able to play with it another couple of years and then I have another one left. And so that's just uh, something that I've done. If you're a parent, that may not be as important to you because your child will progress developmentally and you're not going to need the same toys year after year. But if you're a therapist, that might be a tip for you. If there's something that you love, you know, you'll learn this over time. Boy, I better snatch up two or three of these while they're available and put them away so that I can use it for years and years and years. And that's how this spiral track is. It's uh, it comes with two cars, and there are um, lanes on each side that are shaped in a circular spiral pattern, and the toys go down, the cars roll down the ramp, and I like it so much because to get the racetrack going, it's just one push of the lever at the top, and again, it's not a button per se, and so it's something that a lot of kids have never seen before. It always... Uh, provides interest. I've seen lots and lots of children who won't play with anything that their parents have, and I'm so picky and, and selective about my toys that I can pretty much match what I think will work with a kid, and it's certainly a toy that children who, who don't like to play with a lot of toys or who seem to avoid wanting to play with lots of toys, it really does capture their attention. Now, the one that I have here in the post is pricey. Because Fisher-Price usually coordinates the newest version with of this toy with a blockbuster movie release. And so this one is still based on, uh, I think it's on Cars, but I the movie Cars, but I have a couple. One is a Buzz Lightyear one with Woody, and then another one is just a basic kind of race car set. So I, I went ahead and posted it there just so that you would see how this toy looks, and then maybe you can pick it up at a garage sale or a consignment or somewhere like Goodwill, and you can sometimes find these older toys at those kinds of places. Now, kids who love cars but are kind of ready for this next little step after that swirly racetrack, I just bought uh, a new set that Fisher-Price has. It's a little people in their little people line, and the tracks fold out, and I like it because it's compact and you can – push the tracks back up, and then take it with you. So that's another good choice, especially for kids who like that other racetrack. Or if you can't find that other racetrack, of course, it's going to be um, a really good choice for you. But for kids who need that next little step up, and that's what we always want to be sure that we are thinking about. You know, you'll know that a kid likes the kind of toy. He plays with it all the time. He's mastered it. He still likes it. But then you should know, hey, I need to look for something that's just a little bit harder, something that's just that next little teeny tiny baby step up in complexity. So that this little set would be a nice 
choice for moving a kid who's played with the swirly racetrack for week after week after week and month after month and you're thinking let me move him along a little bit that would be a good choice for you now these kinds of toys remember we said that the turns will be fast and kids may not sit and play you know for 20 minutes at a time and that's okay so here what we're looking for again in cause and effect is just that the kid learns again his play part and that we're just teaching really simple vocabulary so for the racetracks our target words would be words like car or words like ready set go you know go would be our target word here or um, in if we're thinking about or on those location words those early prepositions if we're having a child focus on following some directions and that's always a good one a word that i use all the time when i play with racetracks would be help or a, you know and as i'm saying word you could also substitute sign so if you have a child who's not talking yet but you're using some sign language as your strategy to get communication going you know help is a fantastic uh, sign to teach a child after he's mastered some of the earlier uh, more basic ones and it's it's so good because it's a universal requesting sign and kids can use it from activity to activity to activity and again if you're working on the sign for help you want to be sure that you have a toy that's just a little bit harder for a child to do on his own still simple enough so that he likes it and he wants to do it and he feels like he can do it but there has to be some part of it that he can't do on his own so that you give him the opportunity to use the sign there for help and so that's one that I or word that I use a lot with um, my racetrack toys other kinds of words you would target here exclamatory words I'm meaning like our little vehicle sounds so you know vroom, vroom, or beep beep or you know whoosh or you know whatever your car sound is you know that's mine so anything like that again remember that we have to get kids to be vocal and sometimes verbal and using these little play words or little sound effects often comes in before real words or regular words so before you hear kids try to say the word car you really might get more of those sound effect kinds of words first and that's okay that that's where they are in the whole continuum of learning how to talk now the next kind of cause and effect toy would be toys where you insert the ball or block and Fisher Price and Play School make a big variety of those so many versions of toys out there uh, so just look for those kinds of things and remember this is about cognition and cause and effect so you just want a child staying with it long enough you want to see that he's putting the ball or the block in the toy and then usually these kinds of toys uh, the intention is that the kid puts the object in and that he learns where it will come out so he's looking for it he's watching for it he's anticipating that other kinds of toys here uh, Fisher Price makes a a couple of different little piggy banks and I like using a piggy bank toy after a kid has played with a ball toy or a block toy for a while or even in the same session and I'm kind of seeing you know he he gets the whole put it in watch it come out concept and then some you know this the piggy bank toy would really be that next little step up like we just talked about with our car toys because the coin is going to require a little bit more manipulation so that the child can get it in the slot and so I think it's a nice extension of that and so look for toys again that have different shapes and different variations so that you are really able to see gosh is this that he really doesn't understand what the toy is supposed to do or is it that he just doesn't have the fine motor control yet to really be able to master this toy so take a look at that now the next little toy that I've put on this list after the piggy bank toy would be a cash register toy again same kind of concept you the little plastic coins but it's just a little bit more complicated with a cash register toy you're still putting the coins in a slot but to see that the coin come out you'll have to pull the lever down so can you see how a child has to learn how to sequence two actions here so that he can get the result that he wants so that's a little bit of a step up uh, a CNSA is a good choice for cause and effect toys now CNSA's you pull the handle down 
they eliminated this kind of see and say that you probably had when you were a child. If you're uh, an adult, we all use the ones that had the the ring attached to the string, and that's how the see and say worked. You had to pull the string. They don't have that anymore because that's probably a choking hazard or you know strangulation so now it's pulling down the lever so that's another kind of motor movement and again a cnc is a really good choice for kids who are visual because the little dial in the middle spins when you pull the lever down and so i've had a lot of kids who really really like that and want to stay with that toy now some of you are probably thinking she's promoting you know a, a self-stimulatory action here Here's the thing, with kids who are on the spectrum or that have some sensory processing issues and we don't want them to really do those kinds of things all the time, but for lots of children, that's how we know that they like the toy. And that's what what will interest them at the beginning. And so even though you're using something that you're thinking, mm, I'm going to cause this kid to stem, Sometimes that trade-off in the beginning to get them interested in a toy is so worth it. So don't freak out about those kinds of things. And don't completely avoid, you know, I'm not going to play with this kind of toy because it might cause him to, you know, put his little eyes down there and, and get his little visual bump from this. You know, don't worry too much about that at the beginning. And, again, if something is excessive or if a parent's really, really concerned, you'll be able to judge and you'll be able to know, you know, is this still a good toy choice but I feel like to get a child to want to stay with me and learn how to play and be interested and and certainly have enough engagement there so that he likes the toy and me so that he's looking back and forth and building all of that nice joint attention and participation that that kind of risk uh, is worth it so I, I've already talked about that enough so surely if you have any more questions about that you can email me but but that's my stand on that. All right, pop beads are another good choice here, and that's just a really um, oldie but goodie kind of toy. And pop beads are those plastic beads that are multicolored that are pretty chunky. They're about the size of a child's hand, and they fit together. Remember that pushing those beads together can be a lot more difficult than pulling them apart. So start by making a link of six or seven pot beads, and the child's job is just to pull those beads off. So that's what he would do at the beginning well before he's going to be able to put them together. Uh, pot beads are a good choice for the bathtub, too, because you can fill them up and, you know, then the water will pour out when um, you turn them over. So another good choice for that, and kids sometimes will practice things and do things in the tub that they don't necessarily like to do <laughs> at other times. So I've had good luck with pop beads with moms telling me, oh, that's when we play with that, and that, that's how we play that toy. Now, remember what I just described here with pulling the pop beads apart first? That's deconstruction, meaning that we're going to take the toy apart before we put it together. And deconstruction is a really important part of teaching children how to play who usually don't like to play. So what does that mean? It means you're going to start at the end or start by taking something apart rather than putting it together. So let's look back at the list of toys that we've talked about, like the ring stacker. A kid who, who is not able to put the rings on or doesn't seem interested in doing that or in putting the beads together for pop beads or, um, you know, you can just kind of pick anything that we've talked about. Let's say even the pop-up toys. A kid who really can't push the buttons yet, you may have him close the the doors on the pop-up toy until he learns how to activate the buttons himself for the pop beads. We've already talked about that he would pull the pop beads apart before he would put them together. For the ring stacker, he would take the rings off before he would put the rings on. Now, I did a therapy tip of the week about deconstruction earlier this year, so if you need more information about that, Check that out uh, on YouTube. You can search Teach Me to Talk and you'll get all of those videos or you can go to my website at teachmetotalk.com and click the videos banner or little category there and scroll through those therapy tips of the week. It'll be one of the last ones and listen to me talk about and watch me share some examples of deconstruction. It's a really powerful technique for kids who are having difficulty learning how to play. Now, the next category, uh, we're going to move on, you know, to this next group of activities. You know, we've done movement, and then we did social games and music. And our third 
one that we just talked about were cause and effect toys. This next category, the fourth category, are early sit-down activities. So what does that mean? This next category is for children who have longer attention spans. So they can sit with you for more than the time that they would have previously demonstrated, so longer and longer periods of time. And so in this phase, we get to work on a little bit more. Previously, it was just cause and effect. Now we're expanding that to simple problem solving, meaning that they learn how to do different things. They, there's some different um, actions going on, or there's some kind of component that if a child does one action, it won't necessarily work with the next piece of the toy. And so we have to think, what comes next? What else could I do? What else could I try? And so, again, it's a real hallmark of cognitive development that a child learns that if the first thing that I do doesn't work, I should try something else. And so, again, it really indicates that cognitive maturation is occurring. So let me just run through some of these kinds of activities and toys. A ball and hammer toy or any kind of toy where tool use is involved, meaning that the child uses one object to to perform an action on another part of the toy to make something happen. And again, let's think about tool use in everyday life. That Using utensils is an example of tool use. So when a kid is learning how to feed himself with a spoon, that's tool use. When a kid learns how to brush his own teeth or use a hairbrush, that's tool use. So it's a really, really important component. Our OT friends talk about how important this is as a foundational skill for handwriting. So it is super, super important that we get that going even in toddlerhood. So Wacky Ball is one of my favorite toys of all time, and it's just uh, a toy that has a clear front, and there are holes at the top, and you put the balls in the holes, and you hammer them, you hit them with the hammer, and then watch the balls roll through the tunnels and the different things, the different little components, the doors that are on this toy. Sometimes the hammer's too hard for kids, so they'll just push the ball with their hand, and that's okay because, again, the premise here is we want them looking at the toy, and then we want them repeating the action over and over and over so that they learn to stay with the toy and they do expand their attention uh, with those kinds of things. Another cute option that I found today is tap and beat, which is another kind of hammer toy it's kind of like whack-a-mole <laughs> do you know that game where the the child uses the hammer and he's hitting a pop-up light up a little round circles there so i think that would be a really fun choice too another traditional option here would be a cobbler's bench do you remember those toys from your childhood a little it's a little wooden toy, and there are holes and colored pegs, and then you have a little wooden hammer. I've had, uh, gosh, even as recently as this year, had a little guy who did not stay with toys at all. If you have taken my Is It Autism course, he's all through that course. And his mom was so great when she found this toy for him because it is the one toy <laughs> that dramatically changed his ability to want to stay with a task and complete it and so when he would hammer the pegs in if he didn't hammer them all the way through mom was so great she would just turn that toy over so that he could start over and hammer those little pegs down again and sometimes our really traditional toys with no bells and whistles will accomplish teaching a play skill and teaching something like you know staying with something you know longer periods of play better than anything else so don't be afraid to look at some of these older toys and think about how valuable they could be another benefit of that is lots of families um, have these kinds of things just laying around and they discarded it and they think well you know this is an elite frog toy or it's not a VTech toy or it's not on the iPad and you have to really talk about the value of traditional toys and talk about what a child is learning and the kinds of things that you're seeing. And again, remember as a therapist, some of this you're just thinking is common sense. It's not. <laughs> You've got to really explain it to parents so that they understand. Now the next kind of problem-solving toy here that we're doing in this category, these early sit-down activities, you know, things that require a kid to sit with you for a longer time, a longer amount of time would be a shape sorter. You can find probably hundreds of different kinds of shape sorters 
The ones that I'm using right now, it's uh, one that's shaped like an elephant. It's from a company called Infantino. There's a big circle on the elephant's midsection on his tummy that spins, and the shapes, the holes for the shapes are all there in the middle. And I like this toy because the shapes then come out of the elephant's trunk. So I think it's really, really cute. And, again, there's some variety of movement here to get the shapes to pop out. Well, here's how it's supposed to work. To get the shapes to come out, you're supposed to be able to push the elephant's ears down. My toy like this, the shapes come out on their own, <laughs> and that could just be relative to the particular toy that I have, or it could be that it happens with all of them, but you're supposed to be able to push the elephant's ears and then the shapes come out. So, again, I like it because we're teaching a sequence of actions here so a child learns how to... Um, essentially motor plan, which is something that lots of our kids who go on to be diagnosed with apraxia or dyspraxia really struggle with, with combining the next action and the next action and the next action. So sometimes there are little guys who just speak in grunts or who just use single sounds or single syllables. They have an overall motor planning problem. And so theoretically, sometimes these kids need to learn how to motor plan with fine motor activities or even growth motor activities first so they get that whole sequencing piece before they're able to do it with speech. And so we have to think about things like that. Another kind of shape sorter that I use sort of looks like the old Tupperware version. Do you remember that version of the shape sorter where it's a plastic ball and there were all kinds of shapes, maybe, you know, 12 or 15 different shapes. So there's a newer version of that that's made by a company called Tassel Toys. So you can find that one as well. Um, a really popular kind of problem-solving toy, if you think about it in this way, uh, would be puzzles. Now, I think wooden puzzles are just a mainstay of speech therapy because little kids like them. And the best part about this is we can teach lots and lots of vocabulary with um, puzzles. So look for puzzles at the beginning with wooden pegs so that a toddler is able to get the right piece in the right place. You may have to do a lot of helping with this at the beginning. And physical assistance, again, I've already talked about this, but it's always warranted at the beginning so that you can have a child learn that, hey, I can do this or learn how to do it. But the pegs will really help the child be able to get the piece in uh, with less trouble. And so you can get puzzles that have pretty big wooden knobs. Uh, Melissa and Doug puzzles have what they call jumbo knobs. And then after a kid is pretty good with that, you can bump them up to the puzzles that have maybe the smaller little red knobs, but at the beginning you may need to start with the ones that have those larger knobs just to make it easier for a child to hold and manipulate the piece and get them in the right place. So puzzles are another really good beginning kind of toy here for early sit-down activities. Now don't choose a puzzle with 15 pieces and think that a child is going to be able to do that. I'll start kids off with three- and four-piece puzzles for a long time before I bump them up to a six-piece puzzle or a nine-piece puzzle. And remember, when I'm talking about these kinds of toddler puzzles, they're not, you know, cardboard puzzles that you're really fitting the pieces together. These are the wooden puzzles that just have the cutout of the exact shape of the piece. And usually, hopefully at the beginning, the picture in, in the inset part of the puzzle matches the picture on the piece with the knob. And so the kid, again, is learning matching here. You can just do a lot with, um, you know, teaching a child to look and pay attention to what the picture looks like and then finding the same picture. You know, if he has a piece that's a dog, he has to find the dog and then try to match or get it in the right spot. So think about how complex that process is. You know, he's using his little eyes there. We have the language component where we want him to learn the name for what you're, you're saying the puzzle piece is, you know, whether it's a bird or a truck or whatever it is, there's a language component. And then, you know, we've talked a lot about the fine motor component here. So lots of developmental progress is going on when a kid learns how to do a puzzle. So think about that if you're a parent or if you're a therapist and you're explaining this to a parent and you're, he's saying, a parent might be saying, he's just, he just won't do puzzles, he doesn't like them. 
you might say, well, I think it's because his fine motor skills aren't quite there yet, and this is what we need to do to get them there, or, you know, whatever, the OT or PT or whoever else is working with that child. You might say, you know, this isn't, to me, this isn't really a cognitive issue. It looks more like it's a fine motor issue. A lot of times it is a cognitive issue. The child isn't matching. There's no one-to-one correspondence there. He doesn't really understand that the picture of the dog only fits in the slot for the dog, and so he'll learn it through trial and error. He'll try to put the, the the puzzle piece that's the dog into the piece where the cat goes and you'll be able to say things like look that's a dog where's dog find the dog or that's a cat that's the cat where's the dog now you don't want to use the word no very much here because that drives children away from you and you don't want to do that you don't want to be overly punitive or make him want to avoid you or the task by telling him no that's not right no stop no you you got it wrong don't do that but do lots of other kinds of cueing where you're really tapping or pointing to the piece where it goes you can do some hand overhand assistance where you're taking this little hand and guiding it to the right spot but you really want him to begin to understand that I look at the picture and then I look at the puzzle and I find the one that's the same and then I match it that way. And again, that's through trial and error. He needs lots of practice to get that skill going, but it's it's a good one here that certainly falls within this early sit-down activity uh, category. And then again, you can increase that complexity by just getting harder and harder puzzles. But at the beginning, Stay with things that are just like three or four pieces. Now, back to this thing about the shape sorters and puzzles. A lot of times if kids are making mistakes over and over and over and over and they don't seem to have any success, limit their opportunities to get it wrong. <laughs> so what do I mean by that? So by with a puzzle, if the kid that you are working with just has such a hard time getting the right piece in the right slot, cover up some of the slots that are incorrect so if you had a three-piece puzzle there's a bird a cat and a dog and he has tried on his own and seems to be getting a little bit frustrated that he can't get the dog to fit and he keeps trying to put it in the cat or the bird cover the cat and the bird up with your arm (laughs) or your hand whatever you need to use and then guide him with your other hand to the correct spot same thing with shapes with his little shape sorters if he just looks around and can't seem to find uh, where the triangle goes cover up some other slots where you're presenting just the triangle slot so that he has an opportunity to get it right you know that's called errorless learning or errorless teaching meaning that we minimize the opportunities for him to make an error so that's a technique and if you're a therapist I certainly hope you're using that, but beyond that, you need to be talking to parents about that so that they can use those same kinds of strategies during play. Now, another good option here for early sit-down activities that, again, we're trying to do everything we can to get a kid to stay with us and sit with us for longer periods of time would be including a game with a strong visual component. Now, we talked about this with shapes uh, with the little ring stackers a second ago. So what, what do we mean by that? We're meaning that we're going to use a toy, again, that has something going on that makes the child want to look at it. So a game like Lucky Ducks or an older game that I've used forever, and I'm just going to cry my eyes out when my last fishing around game (laughs) I'm on the last one I bought three or four when when it was available and it's been discontinued but I like both of these little games lucky ducks and fishing around because the little plastic animals move in a circle and again there's music with both of those and it's just a, a really cute activity now we're not playing by the rules with lucky ducks and with fishing around you're supposed to be able to match the Uh, colored circle on the bottom of the duck with the game board we are not interested in that with toddlers who are not talking all we want to do is have fun so for a game like lucky ducks your target word here would be you know duck or let's say a kid is really ready to request and so you'll just have him say duck so that you can give him a duck and put it on the you know on the toy so it you know or in the water there and you'll have him push the button and then watch the duck go around and so you know before he can get another duck he has to request by saying duck 
or again, you could use a sign like more or please or whatever your goal is. If you're really just working on expressive things and he's not, you know, ready to say duck yet or really imitate that, you might do a lot of modeling, you know, quack, 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 and just want to hear any kind of attempt at imitating you as you're just having a really fun time and playing yourself with that. So, so many things that you could do with this little game. You know, again, following directions with telling a kid push, you know, it's your turn to push, or um, you can teach verbs. I teach verbs or action words with this game all the time. You know, I make the duck drink, pretend to drink the water. We make the duck fly. We make the duck run. We make the duck sleep. And again, these are tons of things that you can do. Kids at this level aren't really too pretend to play yet, but they should be understanding very basic, familiar actions, and we want them to follow directions with those action words. So those are the kinds of goals that I'm working on here with a game like Lucky Ducks or a game like Fishing Around. Magnet toys are another huge hit here at Early Sit-Down Activities, and again, because kids don't understand <laughs> how the magnets stick together. It makes them want to sit and play with these kinds of toys for longer periods of time, particularly if they're a little bit older, but still in this developmental phase. I have found my little friends that are three or even four that are still um, have some pretty significant delays. They may not be fitted in toys that are more babyish than these kinds of uh, magnet toys would be, and I've I just had a lot of good luck with them. The, the set that I have has been discontinued, but there are some newer sets out now. Discovery Kids has a great set out that looks just like the set that I've had for years and years, but it's, it's a set with, uh, I call them sticks, or just little rods that have magnets on each end, and then there are silver balls that attach. And so you can build some things with them. Most of the time children just want to attach them and then take them apart. So a really fun kind of toy. Now my caution here is you do not ever want to use magnetic toys that are small that can be swallowed for children because that, those can cause life-threatening injuries. So be super careful with that, that magnet toys are always a really, really big hit because they're so novel. Now there's another set that I've included in the post and it's a set that I that I use all the time, a set of magnetic shapes. And so there are squares and triangles and rectangles and all of those edges are magnetic. So you can build some things with them. You can try to be <laughs> as creative as possible and do I build houses and swimming pools and whatever a kid seems to be into, that's what I'll say. I build roads a lot of times. You know, we'll just say that, you know, oh, let's build a road for our car. I remember having several of my little friends who are really into Thomas or trains, and so we would build tracks with our uh, magnetic tiles. And so it's a nice way to expand what a kid will do with a toy, and I think we talked about this on last week's show or the week before, you know, what do you do when a kid just seems to like one kind of toy? Sometimes you do have to stick with that and then just bring in different accessories or different ways for him to play. So that's certainly something that I've been able to do with my little friends who like um, Thomas or a, a particular car but don't seem to want to do anything with it beyond lay on their bellies on the floor and get right down there with their little eyes and roll it back and forth. <laughs> so it's a nice expansion activity there. Okay, the next kind of activity that we want to talk about are vocabulary building activities. Now, you know what? I just realized that we are pretty much at the end of our hour and I have so many things to say about vocabulary building activities. So we're going to save the category for next week, for next week's show. But let me just give you a little teaser. Here is where we kind of get down to the nitty gritty of speech therapy. When a kid is ready for a vocabulary building activity, that means that we have lots of target words. We have a huge list of possibilities for the kinds of words that we can teach. So meaning that the toy has a lot of pieces or lots of parts or lots of possibilities here. So next week I want to start with vocabulary building activities and then we're going to still that that would be our fifth big category and we're going to eight. So we're still going to have another couple of weeks with this series. But I hope that it's helping you really tailor 
the kinds of things that you're trying to do when you work with a child. And again, it doesn't matter if you are a parent or a therapist. We can all use these kinds of activities to make our efforts with a child more effective and more successful. And let me close with this. Now, remember today we've talked about cause and effect toys and early sit-down activities, but we mentioned movement activities and toys and social games and music. So if you're having a child who seems to kind of lose interest when he's doing some of these early sit-down activities and he wants to run away, don't insist that he stay with you 10 or 15 more minutes. Get up and do the movement activity. Get up and play a social game. And that's how we want to have some fluidity between these categories and know that we can always fall back to an easier, earlier kind of play. And then when he's had enough of that, then we move back to that highest level of activity where he's, uh, where we're helping him uh, learn to do more and more and more. So we'll we'll talk about that more next time, and we're also going to uh, give you more ideas for vocabulary building kinds of play. All right, that's it for today. I hope you learned some new stuff, uh, and we'll pick back up next week. Thanks so much. Have a great week. Bye bye.